Well, good morning. Hate to break up the good fellowship this morning, uh, but it's good to see each and every one of you here uh, worshiping with us here at Pitts Baptist Church. Um, I do want to call special attention if you are visiting with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Uh, we would love to have recollection of your visit, so if you would, reach in front of you in the pew back there and grab a care card um, that looks like this, and then put your information on there, and then you can hand that to one of our staff persons, or you can put that in the box in the lobby of the sanctuary this morning as you leave. Uh, but we are certainly glad you are here. And then on the flip side of that care card is a place for you to write any kind of prayer concerns, prayer requests that you might have. Uh, and that's for anybody, um, but uh, we would love as a staff uh, to know how we can better pray uh, for you guys. But anyway, thank you for being here on this special Sunday morning as we worship the Lord together. Uh, a few announcements for us today. Uh, don't forget tonight. Tonight is the church-wide Christmas party that starts at 5 o'clock. Uh, only a couple of requirements. Um, come uh, and wear your best ugly Christmas sweater. Um, now, we've had the joke about the staff, what Scott Davis wore to a staff meeting one time or a staff party. So I'm just going to say, not say that, just wear your Duke University shirts or <laughs> your NC State University shirts, and that will suffice as an ugly sweater, if you like. Go Nears and go Heels. There we go. All right. Um, but uh, you do want to bring uh, a dessert to share. And there's going to be lots of fun games tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun fellowshipping together as our whole church family. And then afterwards, uh, we will have some caroling routes available. It's always good to minister to some of our shut-ins that way. So make sure uh, that you put tonight on your calendar to be a part of our church uh, event here. Um, next Sunday is a very important Sunday. It is our march for uh, Lottie Moon Missions uh, that is the Sunday that we uh, officially begin our offering for Lottie Moon. And let me remind you uh, that 100% of that offering goes to the mission field. And this is what last year's, a part of last year's offering went to. It supported over 422 missionaries, uh, established new churches all over the world. Uh, there were 86,000 baptisms as a result, 144 over 144,000 new believers, and then over 770,000 gospel conversations. You know, a few years ago, the IMB had the theme, Pray, Give, Go. Uh, and this is a huge way that we can give. Uh, and then it also goes to help support uh, our local missionaries that we have on the field, Katie Cloyce and, and Brandon, uh, forgetting Brandon's last name, Brooks, thank you. Um, but it goes to, to support those guys as well. So you make sure and be faithful in giving to Lottie Moon, and we'll continue to receive that offering through uh, the end of January. Uh, today is the, to the day, the last day, to bring your angel tree gift. Uh, if you would bring that by the church, remember when you bring it by the church to have that tag, uh, that color-coded tag, on the gift so that we know where to put that gift. So thank you for supporting that ministry. Um, Christmas Eve service will always, uh, it's at 9 o'clock on Christmas Eve, uh, so make sure that you make your plans to be here. It's a very special service as we worship together uh, as a church family. The following Sunday, December the 26th, after Christmas, we will not have Sunday school or community groups that morning. 
um, but we will have one worship service in here at 10:15. So make sure that you get that on your calendar. Don't show up for Sunday school because nobody will be here. Um, our men's ministry project is still going on, and uh, actually we'll be making deliveries tomorrow night, uh, and uh, beginning at six o'clock. Those of you who wish to help deliver uh, those things, be here at six in the B building. And if you still wish to donate ten dollars, just make sure you put in the memo line "men's ministry project," and you can also put that in the box in the foyer of the sanctuary. Um, the poinsettias uh, for this year are already all sold out. So if you submitted a form for a poinsettia today, uh, it can be returned to you, or we can just keep that, and then you can let us know if you want to use that uh, listed as a memorial. Um, the PBC office, uh, uh, post office is still going on. Um, that is located right outside the men's uh, restroom. And uh, instead of paying postage, what you would save on postage, you just simply take that amount and drop that in the box there as a, a, an offering for Lottie Moon. Um, and then, of course, uh, this week we've all heard the news of the devastating uh, tornadoes that happened in our country and especially in Kentucky. Um, we do not have a team right now established to go, but there may be one in the future, so make sure you pay attention to announcements in the future. But there's a way that you can help now, tangibly, uh, by uh, submitting some, some money uh, through the baptistonmission.org. So if you'd like to make a donation uh, to those families who are devastated, uh, just incredible devastation, especially in the state of Kentucky, um, you can go to baptistonmission.org and then you can make your donation there. So um, I know that's a lot of announcements, um, but uh, now I'd like to, to call our church and just to uh, a quick matter of business. Uh, right now we're going to vote on our budget. Uh, last Sunday we had a budget meeting here at 5 o'clock and answered any questions that one might have. And so today we are doing a ballot vote uh, with no discussion and no questions. So if you are a member of our church, would you please stand and then when you get your ballot, you may take a seat and then when you finish that ballot, pass that to the end of your row.
if you have finished ballots, would you pass them to the end of your row and then the person at the end of the row, please hold your hand up so our ushers can come along and, and receive those. Any outstanding ballots? All right, I believe that's it. Um, let's quiet our hearts now. If you would, just take a moment to bow silently where you are. And let's spend some time to reflect and to pray, to honor God during this time and you would just take a moment to adore him for who he is. Spend some time blessing his name and honoring him. Now spend some time in confession. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now spend some time just thanking him for that forgiveness and the specific things that he's given to you in your life. And now spend some time making supplication for our neighbors, for those who are lost, for those who have been devastated by these tornadoes. Bring their needs before the Lord. Father, we could spend all morning, the rest of our life, just adoring you for who you are, for your majesty, for your glory, for your holiness, for your love, for your mercy, for your compassion. Father, we indeed are grateful for all of these things, and we just want to bless your name this morning and magnify. Father, we also come and we confess the sins that, that entangle us, that trip us up on our race for you. And we thank you, Father, that when we do confess, you do forgive. And we're
Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. God, we are so privileged to be in an area and in a church that unashamedly preaches the gospel. Thank you, Father, for how clear and plain it is made week in and week out. Thank you for the very fact that, that when we got out of bed this morning, we could walk, could see, could hear, could taste all of these things, Lord, the common graces that are ours by your kindness, we're thankful for. We're thankful for one another. We're thankful for this church. Father, we also come and we lift up those this morning who, whose lives are changed forever because of what happened with these tornadoes. Lord, we lift up their needs to you. And I pray, Father, that we as a church can come and, and help in very real and very tangible ways. But God, we also know that there are many that are hurting in our own community. Lord, we know many lost people. We pray for their salvation. We ask, God, that this Christmas season that they receive the best gift that they could ever receive. And that is a relationship with you. God, be close to those who are hurting. Help them to know and feel and sense your presence in a very real and tangible way. And Lord, we're just so grateful that you are a personal, intimate God. And we thank you for it. May your name be praised this morning in all that we do, say, and think. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today is the third Sunday of Advent as we continue our spiritual journey in the preparation and celebration of Christmas. During the first week, we were reminded of the hope and expectation we have in the coming of Christ. Last week, we were reminded of our faithful anticipation for the coming of Christ. There is no greater joy in life than the joy of a fulfilled promise and answered prayer. After 400 years of silence from God, comes an angelic proclamation to the lowly shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And the night sky is filled with joyful praise by the hosts of heaven, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. It is this joy we commemorate on this third Sunday of Advent. When the infinite God stepped into the history of time. When the almighty creator manifested himself as a creation. And the promise was fulfilled. The gift was given as we beheld the joy of our salvation lying in a manger. At Christmas, we celebrate the joy of the first coming of Christ. However, we will experience a greater joy at his second coming. For the day will come when we will leave this earthen vessel. When this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And we will be like him, and not only that, we will see him face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Therefore, on this third Sunday of Advent, let us engage in a joyful celebration of the coming of Christ.
you stand with me as we sing together.
있습니다. 
Amen. Thank you so much, choir. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, I want us to look today at the Annunciation of Christ or the Annunciation of the birth of Jesus Christ. Annunciation being, of course, the proclamation. The Annunciation of the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 1, and we will begin today in verse 26, and we'll read down through verse 56. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, please. Luke records, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is This granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is he who who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humblest state of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Father, we are so grateful that you condescended to us. You sent your son, born of a virgin. He came in the flesh to die for us, to reconcile us to a holy God, to redeem us and to claim us as a people for his own. Lord, we exalt you today for what you have done, that in the fullness of time, you intervened. And Jesus was called Emmanuel, God with us, because you're with each of us this Christmas season. Whatever we're going through in life, whatever trials, whatever tribulation, whatever loneliness, whatever heartache, or whatever joy in our hearts, you're with us. The announcement of a child has changed everything. Thank you for this announcement that we read about today. Through the power of your spirit, use this text to speak to every heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul tells us something very important that we need to remember today. The Apostle Paul wrote, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Folks, God has a unique way of using weak things for his glory. And I'm glad he does. You know, I think of Gideon in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. 
You see, Gideon was absolutely convinced he was not the right man for the job. But God showed him otherwise. And the Lord used Gideon to soundly defeat the Midianites. Now folks, as we look at Luke chapter 1 today, we see much the same thing. Mary was not the most likely candidate to carry the Messiah in her womb if you would have judged things by worldly standards. According to non-biblical sources such as the apocryphal gospel of the birth of Mary, she was only 14 years of age. The history of Joseph the carpenter states that she was only 12. No less a scholar today than Raymond Brown, who has written the massive, highly regarded volume, The Birth of the Messiah, a volume of almost 800 pages, he comes to the same conclusion that Mary was perhaps only 12 years of age. Now, I know this shocks our sensibilities today, but we've got to remember the culture of, of her time, that, that this was very common. She was probably a young woman of not more than 14 or 15 years of age. Now, in all likelihood, Mary would have been illiterate, as was the norm for poor peasant girls at at her time in this region of the world. Now this is not to say that she wouldn't have known the scriptures. The Jewish people had an amazing ability to not only memorize the scripture, but also to memorize any catechisms that they would have been taught at, at their local synagogue. You know, the, the human mind can do amazing things when it's in situations that it needs to. You look at illiterate cultures and the memory is just absolutely phenomenal. You know, I think of up the road at, at First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. The pastor there, Dr. Andy Davis, no relation that I know of. And in recent years, he preached through the book of Isaiah. And in preparation of preaching through the book of Isaiah, he memorized all 66 chapters of Isaiah. Phenomenal feats for the human mind. Those in Mary's day would have committed great sections of different things to memory. Now, from all indications, Mary's life would not have been extraordinary at all. She would have lived a very humble life. Uh, had it not been for what happened here, she would have probably married anyway at a very young age. Uh, she would have, in all likelihood, married a poor village boy, had lots and lots of children, and would have lived somewhat of a hand-to-mouth existence and probably never traveled more than a few miles from her home her entire life other than going to the festivals down at the temple in Jerusalem. That's probably what would have been Mary's life if it were not for what we read here. What I'm trying to say to you this morning, when the greatest news of all came from heaven to earth, I want you to notice that news came to the very humble and lowly in heart. She was also from Nazareth, we're told. 
We only know of Nazareth because of the New Testament. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. And a pre-Christian reference to Nazareth was not even thought to exist until an archaeological discovery in 1962. I want you to remember what, what Nathaniel said when Nathaniel met Jesus. He scoffed and he said, Jesus of Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? You see, Nazareth was a halfway stopping place between Tyre and Sidon, uh, Sidon and was overrun by both Gentile and Roman soldiers. It was supposedly a corrupt little town made up of only a few dozen people, perhaps four or five hundred at the most. And so what you have here is you have you have a no-name girl, other, other than this again, you, you have a nobody girl from a nobody place. And when God intervened in human history, this is where he came and revealed himself. You know, in the eyes of the world, there would have not been much happening in places like this. And yet, this is oftentimes how God chooses to do things. Even at the birth of Jesus, the angel Gabriel announced his birth, first of all, to the lowly shepherds who were in their fields outside of Bethlehem. Shepherds that were lowly, who could not even be witnesses in the courts of law of the day. And again, that's where the best news of all first arrived. Folks, again, this is hardly how we would do things today. We would look for important people in important places and we would hire the best marketing firms and we would buy choice spots on the internet and the airwaves and we would include Hollywood stars and all kinds of politicians and dignitaries. But again, I remind you of Paul's words. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful not many were of noble birth but God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God doesn't depend on the power brokers and politicians of the world when he gets ready to do something the real question for you and me I suppose is not am I important enough or well-known enough for God to use me. But the real question is, am I low enough? Am I humble enough for God to use me? You know, at Christmas, we focus on Christ. And that's exactly as it should be. But this morning, I want us to consider another very important biblical character that we're already speaking about, and that's Mary. Now, as Protestants, we certainly don't agree with Catholics. We don't hold to the immaculate conception that Mary herself was conceived in the womb of her mother without human sexual relations. And that she was thereby totally free of original sin so that she could be, quote unquote, the mother of God. 
Protestants object to all such non-biblical notions of Mary. But folks, this doesn't mean that we want to demean Mary either. We want to respect her. We want to honor her. After all, verse 28 of our text says that she was favored, even highly favored by God. Of all the women at the time in the world, she was chosen to carry in her body the Lord Jesus Christ. And so any disregard or disrespect of Mary would also be wrong. And it would surely be sinful and must grieve the heart of our Lord. Now as we look at Mary today, let, let's look at what her responses were to what we read here. Her responses in and of themselves are tremendous lessons for you and me today. Her response to the good news of Jesus Christ should be the response of each one of us in a sense. I mean, obviously this was a one-time event. There's only one Savior and he only had one earthly mother. But nonetheless, her response to the angel's announcement to her shows you and me a great deal today. First of all, this morning, I want you to see that Mary is an example in how she believed God. Mary is an example in how she believed God. I want you to notice that the Bible says in verse 26 that the angel comes to Galilee into a city called Nazareth. As I said in the introduction... This would have been a huge surprise. If heaven was going to make an announcement like this, it's not where we would expect such an announcement to be made. We would expect an announcement like this to have gone to the political capital of the day, which would have been Rome. Or maybe to the intellectual capital of the day, which would have been Athens. Or to the religious capital of the day, which would have been Jerusalem. But that's not where the announcement goes. All of these great cities are bypassed. And instead, the angel goes up into the hill country of Galilee to a little no-name place. There in, in Galilee by the name of Nazareth. A small town. It was one of those towns where you better not get in trouble growing up. One of those towns where you get in trouble as a little boy or a little girl and you do something mischievous. By the time you get home, your mom and daddy have already heard about it. And you're in trouble. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you grew up in little country places like that. Little no-name places where everybody knows everybody's name and everybody knows everybody's business. That's the type of place Nazareth was. If you're in Nazareth today, it's still not all that big. Probably around 70,000 people, but it's very crowded. The streets are very crowded, mainly with tourists going in and out of all the sidewalk shops. 
And right near the church of the Annunciation, there's a cave in the ground. You go down a few steps, maybe sort of like this stage up here, just a few steps, and you go into this underground room, probably not more than seven or 800 square feet with some earthly columns in it and some little rooms on the side of it. And tradition says that was the home of Mary. This small, insignificant place is where this announcement is made. The angel Gabriel went to her with a very special piece of news. And you know what, folks? I I believe it could be a bit troubling, too. I mean, what if you woke up one night and the angel Gabriel was perched at the end of your bed? You think it would startle you? You better believe it. And you know what? I imagine Mary was a little bit startled too. And Mary was told by the angel Gabriel that she was the favored one. I mean, imagine that being God's attitude toward you. Mary must have been quite a special young lady. She was devout. She had kept herself pure. She was godly. Folks, don't tell me things like that don't make a difference. They do. God came to Mary who was then engaged to Joseph, and he had this special work for her to do. Even though she was a virgin, she was going to be impregnated. She was going to conceive a son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, ladies, I want you to think about how troubling all of this would be to you. I mean, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? It's puzzling to Mary. It it was probably troubling as well, as I just said. I mean, because after all, what are people going to think of me? Must have been what was going through her mind. She probably knew what people were going to think of her. People are going to think that I've been out sleeping around. I've been being immoral with some young man. And here I've ended up pregnant. And I'm going to be ashamed of my family. And I'm going to be ashamed of myself. I'm going to be ashamed of this entire village where I live. And Mary probably said to her loved ones when she began to show, she probably tried to say to them, wait y'all, I mean the Holy Spirit did this in me. I've not not been with a man. And, And people probably said, yeah right Mary, yeah right. Sure, go on telling yourself that Mary. That might have been the response that she was getting from some people. Can you imagine some of the things... This young teenage girl would have faced the gossip, the slander, the ridicule. But folks, look look again at how Mary responds to all this. She listens on to what the angel is saying. And in verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Folks, what is that? That's faith, is it not? That's faith. She doesn't say, now Lord, if you're going to do all this in me, then you've got you've to 
send some angels around to everybody I know and you got to explain to them exactly what's happened here so they'll know. you got to tell everybody what's going on. She doesn't say anything like that. She simply believes. You know what? I'm not sure we've always given Mary enough credit. I'm not sure we've really thought through everything she probably faced. And you know who I think she's being contrasted with? Well, there's two people. First of all, she's being contrasted with Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, earlier on in the chapter, we're told about him. He did not believe. He and his wife were old. He had no son. They must have been praying for one in their earlier married years. And then when God tells him that his prayers will be answered and John the Baptist will be born to them, he doesn't believe. I think she's also being contrasted here with Sarah, Abraham's wife. Remember her? She laughed when she heard the angel revealing to Abraham that they would have a son. I mean, Sarah just outright laughs. And we understand that, don't we? And the angel called her laughing and said, why, do you laugh? why did you laugh? She said, I didn't laugh. Yes, you did. You laughed. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. In Zacharias' case, God strikes him with silence. He's not able to speak until John the Baptist is finally born. Here's a godly man in his case. He's old. He's walked with God many years. He's known God. He's seen God do many mighty things. And yet Zacharias doesn't believe. Again, is that hard to understand? No, if we would have been in his shoes. Sarah, the wife of the man who is to become the first patriarch, she doesn't believe either. I mean, think of these giants in the faith who are much older than Mary and they did not believe. And yet, here's this young teenage girl. She trusts in what God is saying. She believes. She puts her faith in the Lord and she realizes the key to it all as verse 37 says. The angel says to her, nothing is impossible with God. Folks, that's the key right there, right? That's the key. Nothing is impossible with God. I mean, if you embrace Genesis 1-1, you can easily embrace everything else in the Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God spoke, and it was so. Right there tells us that there is absolutely nothing that is impossible with God. The book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. Folks, at Christmas you and I need to believe God. We need to trust Him. Just like in that passage we looked at last week out of Isaiah chapter 9. That the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. A, a son will be born to us and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Are you in darkness this Christmas season? He'll give you light. 
Do you need wisdom and counsel? He'll give you that. Do you need strength? He's able to give you that. Do you lack peace? He can give you that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will do the things in His Word that He says He will do? Listen to Psalm 37. Psalm 37 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He will do it. Folks, even Elizabeth recognizes the magnitude of Mary's faith. In verse 45, she says, And blessed is he, is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Even Elizabeth must be somewhat astounded at Mary's faith. Folks, follow Mary's example. Trust God. Believe God. Put your faith squarely in Him this Christmas season. Read His Word. Believe it. Trust Him. Let Mary be an example to you and me this Christmas season. Remember what John said in John chapter 1 of Jesus? That Jesus came to His own and His own received Him not. But to those who received Him, even to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to be called children of God. Amen? Mary's an example to us in her faith. Secondly, Mary is an example in how she served God. Look at verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Once again, Mary proves to be such a wonderful example. Mary is saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Whatever your plan is with me, whatever you want to do with me, even if other people don't understand it, even if other people don't even believe it, Lord, here I am. I'm yours. You see, that's the attitude of a bondservant. A bondservant was a lowly servant who realized their lives were completely in the hands of their master. Their master called all the shots of their life. And that's what Mary is saying here. Lord, I'm yours. I'm your bondservant. Whatever it is that you want of me, here I am. I just want to serve you. Folks, that's the way I want to be this Christmas season, don't you? When God works in the world, usually He does so through men and women who will believe Him and serve Him. You can go all the way through the Bible and see this over and over again with the people that God used. Now, sometimes God used unbelievers. Sometimes God even used Satan. To do God's bidding. But the way God usually works on the pages of Scripture is using simple, ordinary people who were willing to believe Him and then out of that faith to serve Him with their lives. That's what Jesus held up as an example to His disciples. In Mark 9, Mark records... uh, 
a situation. When, when the disciples are walking along, they're going to Capernaum. And Jesus is walking on up ahead of them. And the disciples are back there fighting with one another. They're arguing with one another. And they don't think Jesus hears them, but he does. And so when they come into the house and, and, and they've seated around Jesus and he's beginning to teach them, he says, guys, what were you arguing about on the way? And there was a silence there. William Barclay calls it the silence of shame because they knew that they'd been caught because they were arguing about who was to be first and who was to be greatest. And Jesus said, listen, guys, I'll tell you this. The one who is the greatest is the one who is the last of all and the servant of all. We're to be servants. Mary was a servant. That's one of her characteristics that we see highlighted here in the scripture. This young woman who is going to be the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus Christ was a woman who would believe God and serve God. What wonderful attributes in a person. You know, there were many other young virgins in Israel. Mary was not the only one, I'm sure. There were probably dozens and dozens, hundreds, maybe even thousands. But just like in Queen Esther's day, you know, probably many others around Esther, but she was chosen, Mary, the same way many others, but she was chosen. There must have been something in Mary's heart. That God didn't see in others. Folks be faithful in the little things. Be a bond servant of the Lord. Serve him now. Right here. Whatever way he's called you to. God may be preparing you for something that you could not even believe if, if you were to see it now. You know it may be that God... You see God calling somebody else around you to, to do something just magnificent. And you might say, God, why don't you ever do anything like that in my life? And yet, honestly, if you were to look at your life, maybe in the ways God has called you to serve Him and follow Him, you've not. You've not been faithful. That may be why God's not giving you a bigger assignment. If you've not even been faithful in the little things. You see, God rewards faithfulness oftentimes with greater opportunities. I mean, just think of the parable of the stewards in Matthew 25. The guy who received five talents was faithful with those five. He was rewarded and given more. The guy with two was faithful with the two. He was rewarded and given more. The guy who was only given one was not even faithful with the one. And that one was taken from him and given to somebody else. Be faithful in small things. Small things, every step of obedience, every step of faith and service that you and I do may be preparing us for what God's going to do in us tomorrow and the next day and so forth and so on. And you know what real faith and, and, and service does? It serves God in very practical ways too. That's what the whole entire book of James is about. 
I mean, if we truly have faith in the Lord and we're truly serving Him, then it's got to be seen in our everyday lives and what we do and, and how we treat people. James says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. So your faith and service is going to be demonstrated by what you do. This Christmas, put a little bit of feet onto the faith that you say that you have. How is God asking you to serve Him? Has He given you a gift to use in His church? Are you using it? Has God put people around you that need a witness? Are you witnessing to them? Even in small ways, serving. Mary believed and she served. She was a bondservant. A third thing I want us to see about Mary. Mary is an example in how she worshipped. Look at verses 46 and following. You see what Mary did there was not strange. It was normal. When we ponder the great things that God has done, folks, worship ought to be normal and natural. Elizabeth worshipped, the angels worshipped, the shepherds worshipped, Simeon worshipped, Anna worshipped, the wise men worshipped. They all had the same response to the news that we celebrate at Christmas. They all worshipped. And you know what? That's truly what our response should be at Christmas and every day. The news that God has condescended to the human race, come to this sin-drenched and darkened world, this fallen humanity. He's entered into our suffering and darkness in the flesh, yet without sin. So he could go to the cross and bear our sin, that we could be reconciled to a holy God. Folks, that ought to provoke a heart of worship. From a grateful people. Mary worships. And I want you to notice her worship is celebratory. I mean we read here. She says my soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. The soul and the spirit, the inner man, the essence of what it means to be man and woman. Remember when God created Adam, he breathed into him a living soul that made him distinct from all the other creation. That's what God has put in us. And in our inner self, we ought to rejoice and worship God with with celebration just because of what he's done. For lowly, sinful people like us. Worship rises from the inside. It's not something you simply do on the outside. It's not just a set of words or actions. Words and actions are the fruit of our worship. All that is in Mary's inner self is just exploding in praise of God. Worship involves singing and reading the Bible, listening to a message, giving, partaking of the Lord's Supper, serving Him in obedience. All of those things are acts of worship. But you know what? Every single one of those things, if we're not careful, can be done in the wrong spirit too. 
Remember in Jeremiah's day, God wanted Jeremiah to go and stand at the gate of the temple and preach a sermon against the people there because they were coming to the temple in, with lives of disobedience and rebellion and idolatry. And yet they were coming to the temple and God said, Jeremiah, tell the people, will you come to my house which is called by my name and act the way you're acting? You've turned my house into a den of robbers. And the prophet Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, God said, Isaiah, tell the people, you worship me with your lips, but it's in vain. Our worship can be wrong. It can be shallow. It can be hollow. It can be just going through the motions. I mean, even at Christmas time. I mean, people everywhere can be rejoicing that it's Christmas and talking about Jesus who otherwise in their lives want very little to do with Jesus. I think in that sense, if we're not careful, Christmas could even grieve God's heart when you have some people celebrating what they don't really seem to believe or act in their everyday lives. Again, Mary, though, from the inside, is worshiping. She's exalting in God her Savior. The word exalts here uh, is, is the word megaluno, exalt or magnify. It, it, it means big, it means large. We speak of things like megaphones, for example. What Mary is saying here is, is I'm rejoicing and my soul is making much of God. I want to magnify Him. I, I want to magnify His name because He's worthy. She's lifting up His name and she's proclaiming His name as being great. She goes on to say that her soul rejoiced. And there's more than one word that Luke could have used here. I think it's a carefully chosen word. It's a word that means to be overjoyed. It speaks of unspeakable joy. A joy that is so great you can't even put it into words. And it's spontaneous. It just bubbles up in you and, and spills out. It's like Mary is saying my insides are exploding and I've got to sing. I've got to say something. I've got to praise God. I can't keep it inside what he's done. Folks, think about it. Don't every one of us have reason to have that kind of response? I mean, just think of the greatness God's done in saving your soul. We oftentimes don't see just the little things God does for us every day. You look back over the course of your life and just every day, the little, you see, we, we tend to just focus on these big, magnificent things. But think of the miracle and the great things God's done in your life and my life. Just the little ways every single day He's looked after us and provided for us. Isn't that a miracle too? Doesn't that deserve praise too? Shouldn't our insides be exploding and thanksgiving to God over that too? Not only is worship internal and intense and celebratory, but notice that Mary's worship was also humble. Look at, look at verse 48. 
There, there's, no, there's no pride in her at all. She doesn't say, ha, ha, ha to the other ladies. God chose me. He didn't choose you. He chose me. Must be something special in me. She's humble. I'm just a humble servant. That's the first beatitude in Matthew 5, isn't it? To be poor in spirit. You know, the Bible says God is far removed from the proud. He sets himself in opposition to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He lifts them up and he fills the hungry. Mary was in wonder over being chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. It ought to put you and me in a state of wonder and humility that we should be called the children of God. Remember what John says in 1 John 3 about that. We ought to just be humbled and amazed that God has called us children of God. And John says, and such we are. Her worship also recognizes the work and the mercy of God in verses 49 and 50. God's mighty and just look at what he's done. I mean, praise God from whom all blessings flow. But this great majestic God who is all powerful and who has done great things is also merciful to his people. And then in verses 46 and 48... Uh, 47 rather, we see that her worship is focused on the right person. She says, God my Savior. You see, Mary is recognizing that she too needed a Savior. Folks, there is no scriptural justification whatsoever for the worship of Mary. That too must grieve God. As I said earlier, she should be respected, but we don't worship her. There's no biblical warrant for praying to her. In traditional Roman Catholicism, Mary is actually seen as our co-redeemer along with Jesus. You don't find that in the Bible. Mary worships God as her Savior. God is to be worshipped because he's creator, he's sustainer, he's deliverer, he's our shepherd, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. On and on we could go. He deserves our worship because of all of this and even more. But you know what? He's also our savior. He takes care of the deepest problem we have. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We need to worship a God like that. Christina Rossetti was a poet who lived from 1830 to 1894. She was the daughter of Italian immigrants and a woman of great beauty. She was also a devout Christian. Throughout her life, she wrote poetry dedicated to Christ. In one of the poems, she says, In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed for the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Angels and archangels may have gathered there. Cherubim and seraphim fill the air. But his mother only in her maiden bliss worshiped the beloved with a kiss. And she concludes by saying, what can I give him 
poor as I am. If I were a shepherd, I'd give him a lamb. If I were a wise man, I'd do my part. But what can I give him? I'll give him my heart. What each of us need to do afresh and anew this Christmas season. Would you bow with me, please? And as you bow with me, have you given him your heart? Have you believed upon him that he's the God of the impossible? He can forgive you of all of your sin, every sin you've ever committed. He can wash clean. He can give you a new life. Believe on Him. Come to Him. Be His bond slave. Surrender your life over to Him. He's sovereign God. Surrender your life to Him. Serve Him. Lose yourself in service to Christ. Being obedient even in small things. If you'll do that, there is no telling how he might use you. And folks, not just at Christmas and not just on Sundays, but every season and every day, worship him. He is worthy of our worship. Father, I pray for those right now, somebody here this morning who needs to come Christ what a great season of the year to come to him and be saved to believe on him to trust him and him alone for salvation very time of the year when we celebrate the Lord condescending to us and coming to us to die for us and I pray that you would give them courage this morning to make that public To take a public stand for Jesus Christ. Lord, as those who have already come to you and been saved, remind us that every day, even in small ways, we're to be a bondservant to you. And we're to serve you and obey you and trust you, even in the smallest details of our life. And Lord, I pray that our lives would be lived in worship. There's many things that we've got to do in the course of a day when we get up, get started, get about our day. But Lord, in the midst of it all, before, during, and after everything that we do in our lives, may our lives be about worshiping you, exalting you, magnifying you, making much of you because you are worthy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.